Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Just like that, the second hour is here of Hot Mike across the Outkick Network. Hutton with Row with you. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. If you're watching on YouTube, we will hope you'll subscribe to our Outkick channel. Hit the subscription button. Hit that thumbs up, like button. You can join Chad in the chat as well. Chad's been busy today, Chad. Chad has been busy. Uh, good fodder being thrown out there. Love people stoking the fires a little bit, if you will. Good to see. So keep it up on the chat and definitely subscribe and like us on the YouTube channel. Jim Brown has passed away at the age of 87. Chad, he is a, a player, not just the greatest player. He's a guy that could transcend any any era of the game. Let's just start on the field. Um, you know, could Tom Brady have played in the 1920s? Yes. But is Tom Brady putting up the numbers? No, not based on how the game was played. Jim Brown could. Jim Brown could play right now as well. And that was, that's what many will point to is he is the greatest, just pure football player to ever live. 118 straight games throughout his career when he walked away from the game at age 30 and took a pounding and kept going. Whenever he walked away at the age of 30, he led the NFL. He's the all-time leading rusher, 12,312 yards. He had 118, uh, excuse me, 126 touchdowns in 118 games. Just purely dominant. And then off the field, he was an activist. And he was, you mentioned he was an actor. Yeah. But in nearly, what, three Three dozen films, I believe, throughout his career. I remember the uh, Any Given Sunday was yeah. one of those. One of the later ones that yeah. he did. Yes, and then had his falling out with the Browns, and has since, you know, had, had since gone back and had made amends. A lot of the falling out though was over Holmgren. Whenever Holmgren took him off of uh, whatever role he was doing as a special advisor with the team, he stepped away and didn't show for the Ring of Honor whenever they inducted him to the Ring of Honor for the Cleveland Browns and other incidents. But, yeah, he's uh, passing, he passed away last night, his family said, in his sleep at the age of 87. Which begs the question, why would anyone associated with the Browns at any time take away Jim Brown's role as special advisor to the team or whatever well, Mike Holmgren did? Yeah, it was like a special advisor to young players or something. That's, yeah, that's an that's yeah, odd decision odd. by him. And that was Brown's account of things. So there, you know, there are players that are not of their time. Uh, I think of like Pistol Pete Maravich. I think he was ahead of his time. Jim Brown is one of those very rare guys who was of any time. He was of his time because he was a titan of his time, and he was a giant and a legend. And, but he would have been a legend in any time frame as a player ever because of his size and, and his ability. Uh, did a lot of things beyond the football field also. And I remember meeting him at a restaurant in Nashville working for a radio show. He was there for a charity event and sat down for an interview. I remember shaking his hand, and I was in my early 20s, I think, early mid-20s at the time, and meeting Jim Brown and being legitimately intimidated by someone's presence 
for one of the few times in my life. He didn't say anything rude to me or mean or anything else. There was just this understanding and level of gravitas that I was around someone who was an absolute living legend. And there was a piercing look in his eye when I met him that I still remember to this day. There, and I've met a lot of people in this business, but there are a few people I have met that I can still remember the reaction I had to meeting them and seeing them and looking them in the eye and shaking their hand the way I felt around Jim Brown. The man was that legendary for everything that he accomplished on the field and off. A true legend passed away today. Yeah, I mean, he lettered in basketball. He was an All-American in football and lacrosse at Syracuse and led the nation in scoring in basketball. I mean, just purely great. Could do everything. Yeah, and as Paul Horning said, I'll take Jim Brown over anyone at anything. Uh, Jim Brown, uh, dead at the age of 87. David on the YouTube chat says The Dirty Dozen was his greatest yeah. film role. Big big movie that he was in. And and uh, whoever said it, Jim, you're right about Jim Brown. He is the all-time universal number one pick on the schoolyard for whatever sport you're playing. If you line up athletes, he's one of those guys that, you know what, I'm going to take this guy to do anything. If, if Jim Brown, if pickleball was a thing, Back in the day, you're picking Jim Brown to play pickleball on your team. Whatever it is, he's your guy. Chad, new details are out with the Brett Favre scandal involvement with government money and agency money um, in Mississippi. Seeking government help, and we've detailed this uh, several times on the show, but he's he's involved in a scandal where he's seeking government money and help in order to prop up his daughter's volleyball team at Southern Miss, where he's reaching into nonprofits and funds that are meant to help the extreme poor and the poverty in, in the state, and instead using that money and using his connections to help fund the volleyball facility at Southern Miss. And there are text exchanges that, are, that everyone's pointing to there, claiming that he knew what he was doing. He has denied all involvement or knowing that he was involved in this or when the, where the money was coming from. And, you know, he's involved in defamation lawsuits. Pat McAfee comes to mind. They've settled that out of court. There are others that he is also uh, in litigation with. Um, and, look, he, he's one of the few remaining in this whole string of those being investigated that has yet to be brought forth with, like, harsh charges. But there is a lengthy, when I mean lengthy, a lengthy piece written at Sports Illustrated this week that details text messages and the connections involved, all to help out Favre through the government's money funneled to him to help out the volleyball facility where his daughter was playing. At best, Brett Favre just looks really, really bad in this whole thing. At worst, there's criminal involvement in that he knew exactly what he was trying to do and he was trying to subvert funds for the extreme, extremely poor of Mississippi to go to Southern Miss Volleyball. But what these, these new, I don't know if they're allegations, but this new investigation shows is that Brett Favre is cheap. He basically pledged money to build it himself and donate money to Southern Miss. And instead of using his own money, he went to his politician buddies and said, hey, I need you to help me out here and give this money from the state over to Southern Miss because I made the pledge and I want you to pay for it instead of me. So again, no matter what, he looks terrible. 
Yeah, in this yeah. whole story. I think the big question out there is: it was anything illegal actually done by Brett Favre, or does he just look like a cheapskate who was trying to get off the hook for a pledge that he made by getting someone else to pay the freight for him? Yeah, and it, it looks it looks really bad based on the details and the text messages. Yeah, where he's saying like, "Hey, I need this money." Yeah, it's still unclear though if he specifically knew I'm taking this money from welfare for the extreme poor in the state to give to Southern Miss, or he's just begging. We know. By text message, he's been hitting people up, begging for the money, but did he know where it was really coming from is the question. Yeah, but, and um, I mean, this is taking a while. This is a lengthy investigation. They have those involved in the government agencies already who have pleaded guilty and that face ser- serious time. And Favre's on the opposite end with all of this, where we're still awaiting to see what comes forward with the charges. Chad, Pat McAfee said he was surprised by his audience's reaction with the announcement that he's headed to ESPN. I don't know how he could be with as involved as he is in the social media landscape of things, um, saying that some of the responses were just downright downright cruel, um, where he was announcing that he's headed to ESPN, but the show's not going to change. And there's going to be backlash with that, right? When you initially you build an audience and they feel like you're with them from the ground up, right? As you build out your platform and your brand, and then you sell that brand or you hand over the rights to that brand and you're taking it to another platform, one that they're trying to escape, right? In many ways, you're going to face that backlash. I don't know how Pat was naive to that point, thinking that it would just be a a parade in his honor based on this move. Yeah, and I just think it's also... I don't know if naive is the word I'd use to describe Pat in this instance. More of a, he is a pretty agenda-free guy. He's not a platform guy, right? J.J. Reddick seems like a platform guy, an agenda guy. When he's on ESPN, that's not Pat McAfee. He's all about fun, being smart, entertaining, doing all that. I don't see him as someone who's going to come in, you know, carrying the torch for any one side of one issue or anything like that. He is there to be a clown. To entertain, right? To make sure the fun, the show is fun and he's doing what he wants to do, which is great. That's what you want in entertainment. And I think he probably underestimated the association that many now make with ESPN. So when you side with ESPN and they see you as someone who's independent and they see you go to ESPN, people one way or the other, and it's not necessarily fair, take that as, oh, you've joined them. Yeah. Now you're one of them. Okay, you're no longer my guy. You're not independent. You're not Pat and his show that'll have Aaron Rodgers on and talk about anything. You're one of them now. Well, he specifically said in the past, though, This he happens, would by never... the way, when anyone joins any major media company. Well, People see it one way or the other. But what they have are clips of Pat McAfee whenever ESPN would not let ESPN personalities come on his show. There are clips on social saying uh, of Pat back in 2021 saying, this show will never effing be involved with ESPN. Yeah, and that, you know, that looks bad. Yeah, and that's the clip that's circulating. That's why I would say response. don't don't deal in absolutes uh, in this business or any other one, especially if you're on camera or microphone for a living. Yeah. Because when you say something definitively that you will not do, and then you do that thing, it's well, going to come back to burn you, and rightfully so. It's coming now, back to burn Pat Mack. And now he's saying that the show's not changing. That's also an absolute. But it, it will change. Yeah, and, and with that statement... You can't say the show's not changing by following up by saying we're just not going to use the F word anymore. Because that right. was part of the show. I don't think it's a deal breaker 
for the show to be good or bad or anything like that. But, well, here's one area where it's no, he, changing. It can be entertained without it. Yeah, there will be others. Now, I also think ESPN is spending money on this show and hired him for a reason. They like the show. They like him. Sure. I don't think they're going to micromanage him to death on content and what he thinks is funny or fun or a hot-button issue or entertaining or anything like that. But I do think naturally something's going to come up with a concerned sponsor or a concerned league partner or something where even if we never see it and we never know because he doesn't talk about it, ESPN is going to shift or manipulate in some way against something he wants to do. That's only natural. It's going to happen. This is where I will use the naive word that you use, Hutton. I think he's being naive when he says the show's not changing at all for that reason. There's going to be something. It's not going to change in some huge way, and you're not going to necessarily see the change immediately. But he's not going to be allowed to do something he wants to do. Or he's going to say something that's going to get cross-checked by someone at ESPN. Mark my word. Chad, when we come back, we will reflect on the legacy of Jim Brown and what he meant to the National Football League. Eddie George joins us next on Hot Mike. Hutton and Withrow with you for Hot Mike across the Outkick Network. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. We're reflecting to uh, begin the hour on the life and career of Jim Brown, Pro Football Hall of Famer, the legend. Passes away at the age of 87. And uh, a man who knew him and respected him and honored him at any opportunity he had the chance to, to get to do that is Eddie George. Heisman winner. A longtime NFL back and head coach of the TSU Tigers joins us. Eddie, thank you for the time live from the airport. Um, we have not seen Jim Brown on a football field in 58 years, but he's still regarded as the best football player ever. How would you describe Jim Brown, the running back? Yeah, the running back um, was uh, Superman. I can recall my father um, always talking about with the great Jim Brown growing up and, you know, when I was younger and he would always refer to him as the, the greatest he's ever seen. Just his sheer size, his uh, speed, his ability to make guys miss, his toughness, his grit. Um, one of the first, like, uh, one of two backs to rush for 10,000 yards without missing the start. And, you know, the man who probably could have continued to play the game at a high level, but decided to retire and go on to do other things, become an active activist, um, had a huge impact, not just in, in the, game, the game of sports, but in society, you know, cared deeply about the community. And in just uh, the time that I've had with him, shared with Jim and just talking to him, um, it's always encouraging, you know, to use the platform of football for something great, for a greater good, for a larger purpose. Um, and uh, he's, uh, you know, it's a sad day. You know, you know, we're all going to pass away one day. But when you look at 
his legacy and what he was able to do for the Atlanta football field. Um, just the respect that he's had through the generations of, of football players in the NFL. I've got to respect him. Um, it's unmatched. And, um, you know, it's a, it was a life well lived. Eddie George with us on Hot Mike across the Outkick Network. Eddie, uh, that was Jim Brown, the running back. How how do you describe Jim Brown, the man, the man that you came to know? Well, man, just uh, a wonderful human being, great husband, uh, father, uh, grandfather, uh, a friend. Um, I, I mean, again, I, I spent some time with him, and and he's always encouraged me, you know, uh, to to do be the best I could be. Whether that was as an actor or the things I'm doing in my life now, to continue to approach that with excellence. Um, just a quick story about Jim. Um, a couple of years ago, when the net when Draft was in Nashville, he was there with his wife, and um, I had an opportunity to present the second round draft choice for the Titans, and I'm, I'm kind of hosting the whole deal. And I'm backstage, and I have on this amazing suit, <laughs> and uh, Jim. Says, well, uh, who's the young lady that made it? So I said, well, you know, um, just you know, Joanna Alba, a great company. I gave him information, and that was that. See him again, there for a moment for about you know a couple of weeks, and I get a call about three months later, and uh, from from Joanna, hey, um, you know, Jim Brown had placed an order for suits, <laughs> and uh, he says you're going to buy it for. Him. <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? Uh, hell, why not? You know, he was my idol growing up, my dad's idol, and I, I bought Jim Brown a suit. <laughs> I love that the, the man knew how and to it, get it done in, in many was, ways. It, it was clearly. not a cheap. It was not a cheap suit, Chad. I can no, tell you that. no, and Eddie, oh, I, I no, was, it was not. <laughs> uh, no, yeah. If, if Eddie had his own tailor make it, I'm, I'm guessing oh, it probably yeah. wasn't the cheapest of suits. <laughs> it wasn't exactly men's warehouse. No, no, is what we're talking about. It's not where he no, sent them to no, get to get no, fitted. Eddie, I was just talking about it. it, but it would. The 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 one time I had a chance to meet Jim Brown. Um, you know this as an actor, right? Gravitas is a word used to describe someone that's got that presence. Uh, he had that presence the one time mm -hmm. I had a chance to shake his hand and meet him. You feel that when you're around the guy. Not not just the player and the man you knew, but what was the feeling like around Jim Brown, knowing everything that he had done and experienced in his life, both on the field and off? Oh, just being around him. I mean, you knew you were around greatness. Um, He's just well-respected. He hung on every word that he had to say. He, he spoke um, with gravitas, uh, with thoughtfully, tactfully, uh, with intelligence. Um, and it, it was uh, intentional, you know, that he spent time with, with you. And he knew, you know, he knows you. He knew me. He, he knew, like, my, my, my family. He did his homework on you. Um, so the time that you spend with Jim is, is one that it's not just a, hey, how you doing type of situation. He's genuinely, genuinely interested in how you were as a human being and just the impact you could have on others. Um, and again, you know, I, I was hoping that one day I could get him to come to Nashville and, and uh, do the uh, cocktails so hard as a conversation, um, but never had an opportunity to make it happen. 
And the, the one thing that, uh, that carries with me about him, Eddie, is it's you. Earl Campbell did that event with us. He was glowing about Jim Brown. Gail Sayers calls him the greatest of all time. Everyone at the position and anyone that's played ball that has watched him play says he's the greatest pure football player, period. And we, we mentioned Paul, Paul Horning said he would take Jim Brown over anyone at anything. He was... The, the All-American at lacrosse, two-sport athlete at yes. Syracuse. I mean, he, he could do it all. Jim did it all. He could do it all. He backed it up. He was a, a, it's a consummate pro, an athlete um, that was, you know, you can uh, talk about Bo, San, Bo Jackson, um, Deion Sanders as one of the greatest athletes to play, but certainly Jim Brown is – probably number one when you talk about that. You know what's crazy too? Uh, I was cleaning up my house today for the past couple of weeks and I came across his jersey that I haven't got framed yet. I said I got to get some spray at some point in time. And um yeah, this it's just weird how things work out. You know, you use the top of my thoughts and uh, it's unfortunate that uh he passed today. But I, I, I think that you know he, he He's in a place, a much better place, and we will continue to celebrate his legacy. Eddie George has been our guest reflecting on the life and uh, legacy of Jim Brown. Eddie, thank you for the time, man, on short notice, sitting at the airport on your on your way to a, another destination that's probably better than our weekend trip. So uh, props to you, man, and uh, thank you for joining us. No problem, us. man. Absolutely, man. Love you guys. Yeah, Thanks, Eddie. Same here, man. We'll chat soon. There's Eddie George. Um, when Eddie is raving about a player... It's legit. And he only does that, speaks that way about a handful of guys in the time I've been around him, Chad. He's not one to quickly heap praise on just anyone. Um, and obviously, Jim Brown, one of those players worthy and of I, that praise. I want to say it was, I've asked him before how much he spent. It was like a ten to $13,000 suit that well, he ended up buying. It's amazing is, that he just is, threw that out there and Jim's like, oh, okay, you got that for me? Great. Yeah, yeah but he was like, you know, he's thinking, oh, it's, you know, we're just kind of spitballing here. You know, yeah, you just something you say to someone, like, I got you, man. I got you. Kind of laugh about making it. Making small talk. Like, oh, yeah, here's the car. Who made it? Who, who's the tailor? Okay, I got you. He's jotting it he down. He goes over there and says, put this on Eddie's tab. Yeah, Eddie's got me. He's going to buy this suit for me. And, I love it. You know, he kind of laughed. He was like, yeah. I'll, what else I, I love about it is it. that Eddie didn't say, yeah, no, it's on him. He said, no, <laughs> if Jim Brown thinks I'm buying him a suit, I'm going to go ahead and buy it, even though I wasn't planning on that. Yeah, uh, hit us up with your thoughts. Chad, you can uh, certainly uh, relay some of the thoughts of those in the chat with us on YouTube on uh, Jim Brown's legacy and the number 32. Uh, you know, hey, the number 32 in the NFL this year, that's going to be honored. That'll be on every field across the league. It's going to be maybe on every jersey this year, too. They may have a patch for you every know, every jersey or on the helmet for every team at least. Cer certainly, certainly could be the case. Um, Damon Arnett, cornerback, former cornerback, former first-round pick for, at the time, the Oakland Raiders, now Las Vegas Raiders. He's facing charges. Uh, he pulled a gun, allegedly pulled a gun on a valet in Las Vegas when he was, and I believe he, at this time he had just signed with Kansas City, trying to catch on to a different team after the Raiders had released him. They didn't bring charges initially. He ends up with Kansas City, and uh, then this incident happens. No charges initially, and 
Now, after more evidence has surfaced, they are bringing charges against Arnett, who was a part of the two-pick first round for Mike Mayock and, and John Gruden. But Clark County says that they now have enough to bring forth these charges. And for a guy that's coming out of Ohio State with plenty to play for, um, allegedly pulling a gun on a guy, on a valet, because the valet dared ask him for his ticket before he gave him the keys. He brandished this weapon, grabbed the keys from the box, and then just took off. And he's been charged with those counts. So, not good. Serious charges there. The Mike Mayock drafts. Awful. Not good. Not good. Not, not a good experiment for the Raiders. Chad, uh, where do you come down on this? Can defensive-minded head coaches develop young quarterbacks? And if you really start to think about I think on surface level, you're like, yes, if you're a good head coach, you can develop a young quarterback and develop them well. Really polish them to the point where they reach their ceilings. But if the defensive-minded head coach is always going to hire the offensive coordinator, if the offensive coordinator is going to get all the, the, the praise right for the, for the play of the offense, that coordinator is eventually going to leave and become a head coach elsewhere. Right? He gets hired away. And then you're left replacing coordinators all the time. I don't think it's a, it, a pro football talk with the column. Uh, and, it, and it came through Alex Smith. Alex Smith recently said, hey, I, I just don't get the sense that the mindset is the same way for organizations across the NFL for a defensive-minded head coach versus a guy who came in because of whatever offense he was running. It is a, hey, we're going to throw it. We're going to press it. We're going to try to run up the score. And meanwhile, the defensive-minded head coaches don't turn it over. We're going to play great defense. Time of possession is crucial. And when we have the ball last, we're going to drive down and get points and win the game. That's more of the mentality in the locker room when you enter it with a defensive-minded head coach. I found that interesting coming from Alex Smith. Meanwhile, you've got a handful of defensive coaches now with young quarterbacks. D'Amico Ryan's in Houston. And right here in Tennessee with Will Levis and Mike Vrabel. Just two instances there. Meanwhile... Anthony Richardson and Bryce Young, they've got offensive-minded head coaches grooming them. And they're not going anywhere for any time soon. Meanwhile, the coordinators at either spot possibly could. They could rise and become head coaches elsewhere. Robert Sala's a defensive guy, right? Oh, yeah. With the Jets, so defensive guy now with Aaron Rodgers. I think it's a great spot to be in if you're a young but, but he had or Wilson. any offensive coordinator. Yeah, I think back to like the Ravens team having Eddie George on makes me think of this, but those Brian yeah. Billick Ravens teams where the offenses were terrible and he's an offensive head coach, but the defenses were masterful. Yep. And I feel like everyone that coached defense for those Ravens teams got a head coaching opportunity or elevated to defensive coordinator somewhere else, turned into a great spot with them. When you're the opposite of the head coach, you inevitably get more credit for that side of no, the ball. No doubt. So if you're an offensive coordinator that goes to coach with Robert Sala, let's say, or whoever that's known, Mike Vrabel with the Titans, someone known for defense and former defensive coordinator, you become the de facto head coach of the offense. And in doing so, you're going to get credit when that quarterback has success, and you're going to get more interviews and more opportunities to be a head coach. If you're the quarterback coach that is a part of that defensive head coach's staff, and you develop a young quarterback, you're going to get opportunities to be offensive coordinator and to elevate your career. So I actually think the opposite. I think it's a great spot to be in. And I don't look at defensive head coach and think, boy, that guy did a great job developing that quarterback. 
In fact, in the NFL, Hutton, I don't look at quarterback developers. I look at quarterback cultivators. And what I mean by that is someone who can develop an offense based around the skill set of that quarterback and help them be the best version of themselves. Well, That's what the job is more to me at the NFL level but there's than also, anything else. But the mindset, I think, is what Alex Smith was getting to here. It's, okay, you've got Brock Purdy, and you can develop an offense. But really, Brock Purdy it was inserted. In, we pointed this out the week he had to come in for Trey Lance, and then Jimmy Garoppolo got hurt, and here comes Brock Purdy. They just kept running the same offense. They were calling it. They're throwing passes on third and two with Brock Purdy at quarterback, right? Instead of just taking the easy way out and just getting three yards on a handoff, they're throwing a you know a, a seven-step slant for an 11-yard gain. And I think that's also kind of the mindset and the mentality of an offensive-minded guy. Plus, if you've got a young... Meanwhile, if you're going to, quote-unquote, groom the quarterback for the slow and steady pace that a defensive-minded head coach is going to take, you're really not developing or cultivating all that much compared to what the other guys may be doing. And if you think about the best spots for quarterbacks, they're normally not the defensive-minded head coaches' teams. It's been Shanahan or McVay or you know sprinkled out throughout the league, uh, Andy Reid and other spots too. But it not, not necessarily where the defensive-minded guys are. Yeah, I, I think that it's a challenge, certainly, because of mindset of the organization with the, the head coach leading the way. I also think if you can just whip that head coach's side of the ball, you're going to get elevated a lot quicker and become a head coach a lot quicker. Yeah, but right, I, that's, that's what the Ravens were able well, to do I'm talking back about in the day. Quarterbacks, but those quarterbacks aren't following their coordinators, right? Oh, no. Yeah. And then that really holds back the quarterback development. If you're swapping coordinators all the time because your coordinator – gets a bump up just, because of the quarterback play. I feel like the way the game is played now, I, I don't know many defensive-minded head coaches that I would claim are trying are holding back their quarterback because of their style. I Right? I, I'm just I mean, a, are we going to like – example, not holding back, if but, Aaron Rodgers is not great with the Jets, I don't think people are going to come back and say no. it's because he's got a defensive-minded head coach. No, but the, that falls to what Alex Smith is saying, though. Zach Wilson was with a defensive-minded head coach. I mean, it's, it doesn't just pick up for yeah, Robert just, Sala look, this I, year. I don't – maybe I'm oh, way here's, off here. Here's I another one. I don't look at NFL coaching as developing quarterbacks. I look oh, at the backups I look absolutely at college. I look at high school and college coaches in the quarterback development department I think NFL coaches is more about cultivating what you have at quarterback and making the offense work for that quarterback first and foremost. Well, I think the best coaches, though, know their system and draft to it. You know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's one or the other, right? It's got to be. You can take the grocery and cook a great meal with it no matter what the grocery is, or you're getting a specific so, ingredient for the dish you're making, The best, and you know how to bring that in and do it. The best example I can come up with, and it's not Bill Belichick, by the way. Bill Belichick screwed over Mac Jones with his hire coordinator last year. It's not Bill Belichick. We can point to Tom Brady, the greatest of all time, to play the position. Um, I just don't understand what Belichick was doing with Mac last year, with who he hired. But I think the best coach that's not an offensive background-minded coach is John Harbaugh in Baltimore and how they tailored everything around Lamar Jackson. That's the best example of a guy who's not known for being the quarterback guy or the offensive guy. He was a special teams it, coordinator. Makes, makes it work. Uh, and meanwhile, John Harbaugh was never an offensive or defensive coordinator, right? Just special teams just special before teams. he got the job. Yeah. So, 
But that's a good that's a good that's a rare example of not being a coordinator on either side. Yeah. But of a great middleman CEO. Right? Yeah. Special teams coordinator doesn't come in with some inherent bias to one side of the football or the other, doesn't have to be hands on with one side of the football or the other, comes in and says, Where's our talent? What do we need to do to win? And he's a good guy about going about making sure they're doing those things to win. I think Harbaugh is a Harbaugh is an interesting case because there's not Many like him across the league. Chad, Super Bowl 60, same place that Super Bowl 50 was played. It's going to be in San Francisco. And that was, that was the rumored spot to land Super Bowl 60. We know the, the upcoming locations now. So you've got Super Bowl 58 in Las Vegas this year. That will be on CBS. You have Super Bowl 59 in New Orleans uh, a year and a half from now, and that will be on Fox. And then NBC gets Super Bowl 60 at San Fran at Levi Stadium. I've been in this cavern before. It's great once you're there. It's out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And the Super Bowl 50 and Super Bowl 60, that is a coveted, coveted host site. Let's just put it that way, because everything will be... Um, Remember the, the 50th anniversary Super Bowl and yeah. how everything was the gold and it, it went str- It was promoted a year out. It was Peyton versus Cam in the Super yes. Bowl that year. Yes, and it, Super Bowl 60 will be promoted the same way, and Levi Stadium gets both of those. I don't like the stadium that's so far away from the city. From the city itself. That it represents with the team. Santa Clara. And for a Super Bowl like that, I just I don't, I don't love it. I like the setup. We've been to Super Bowls in New Orleans. I do like the setup there. It's pretty easy for everything. It's all right close to the French Quarter uh, with the stadium. Yeah, I don't love the, the location of the Super Bowl. But you say the stadium's nice. You've it's been it's nice once you're there. <laughs> it is a cavern, man. It's massive. Well, Phoenix is sort of the same way. You know, your hub of all the information, everything going on is downtown for the most part with the media. And then the actual stadium is in Glendale, which is not all that close. And you've got other stadiums being built. It'll be post-Super Bowl 60, though, before those Super Bowls end up in either Buffalo and Nashville, potentially Washington and other spots. Who is signing up for the Buffalo Super Bowl <laughs> to go cover that one? I mean... I think it's going to be fun just because it's so... They'll get one. Random. No, they're absolutely going to get one. But to think about... I mean, we've been in a Chicago, Minneapolis Chicago's Super Chicago's about to build something. Yeah. But, I mean, think of the frozen tundra that was the Minneapolis Super Bowl we attended, and now think of a Buffalo Super Bowl, a city with much well, less going on than and, Minneapolis. And before you laugh, oh, much Buff- less. Buffalo's not getting a Super Bowl. Buffalo's giving $800 million in taxpayer money to help build it. And the NFL, because it's all publicly financed and they privatize the profits through the owners, they, they will make sure that one of the promises will be the Super Bowl. They'll give you one. They're not going to promise more than that, but they'll give you one, especially if you got the dome, then you're in the rotation. And we, Soldier Fields come, comes to mind. Chicago's about to you know, come forward and, and try to break ground on a new spot out there at the racetrack. They're talking dome for that. Hutton, if we cover the Buffalo Super Bowl, which I hope we do, um, this, may, this may be our first... Live from Niagara Falls? Yes. It will may be our first international Super Bowl and that we'll bring our passport and stay on the Canadian side of the falls <laughs> because that is the prime spot to stay. If you were staying in western New York, you don't, don't stay in Buffalo. 
Stay, stay in Niagara, Ontario is where you want to go. That's, that may be our hub. Coming up, a complete makeover that we've never seen before in college football on the offensive side of the football. One position away from making history at Auburn. We'll detail that. Plus, an NBA coach has a big reason why he thinks these NBA playoffs have been so good. That's matched on Hotline. Coming up, the attorney for the woman accusing Matt Ariza and others of rape. He will join us. Dan Gillian. The civil case that's ongoing. He'll join us on Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow. That's coming up in 12 minutes from right now. Chad, the, uh, the Auburn makeover is unbelievable. Right now, the offense that Hugh Freeze will send out, 10 of the 11 starters are going to be guys who were not on the roster January 1st of this year. And they're one position away, an offensive guard away from an entire starting Clean lineup sweep. that will be totally different I love that. than January 1st of this year. That is mind-boggling. That puts in perspective how much you can turn over if you really want to based on the transfer portal. And there's another window coming open for him where he can grab that offensive guard, speaking of freeze, and he'll have a brand new roster altogether. They've got their quarterback, of course, Peyton Thorne, who's coming in from Michigan State. Hugh Free second only to Deion Sanders with turnover, uh, with what he's done at Colorado. It's a great example of how your fortunes can change, good or bad, almost overnight with the transfer portal. The thought would be this will ultimately be a good thing for Auburn because Hugh Freeze is going to run a completely different offense than Brian Harson. It totally makes sense that he wants different types of players in to run that offense. Yes. Totally makes sense that those recruited by Brian Harson want to GTFO and go somewhere else mm -hmm. where they're going to play. So to me, this is an example of the good of all of it when there's a coaching change that you don't have to force fit someone in a system they didn't sign up to play, they're not going to be as effective in. They can go play somewhere else. Hugh Freeze gets to bring in 11 new starters on offense. Hugh Freeze is known to have prolific offenses wherever he's been. So this seems like a good thing for Auburn. And it also seems like it could be a good thing for those that left Auburn and went somewhere else. So I like it. Auburn's roster will consist of players from, and this is offense, but it's never happened when an entire starting 11 is totally different. Michigan State, South Florida, Cincinnati, Ohio State, North Texas, Florida International, Western Kentucky, Tulsa, East Carolina, and another player from Tulsa. They've raided the Tulsa offensive line. And one of them, one of the guys from Tulsa, his last name, I hope this is how you say it, Muskrat. <laughs> well, look, the, the mid-majors would... I, I uh, think it's probably Muskrat. Yeah, Mus you know? Muskrat sounds better. The, the, uh, <laughs> the, the group of five, I, w I shouldn't say mid-majors, that's more of a basketball term. The group of five programs would disagree with me on this. Yeah. But I like to see that he's building this mostly with non-Power 5 transfers. When you go up and down that list, a lot of group of five programs, guys are upgrading to the SEC because they're really good players in their conference. And I like it for those players. I haven't, I haven't seen the study on this. Those group of five pro coaches, though, would disagree oh, that, that they're getting yeah. rated. Well, I haven't by, seen by the study on this, though, Chad. So right now, Grayson Weir has a storied outkick. And again, he's one position away. It's offensive guard. There are more than 50 interior offensive linemen with three-star status or higher that remain in the portal right now. And I'm fascinated by the guys who don't get picked up and what happens to them. 
Did they just go back to where they were? Did they find a school to play? Did they really not care about playing all that much and they're just kind of out there to see where they could end up? Did they enter the portal as a reason to quit football, right? Instead of just quitting the team? I don't know. Um, I'm fascinated by that story, though, because there's more players than there are spots at this time. I would... Right now, you're just kind of... You're not even upgrading the position. You're filling depth now in the in the portal if you're at the higher end of the power fives. You've got your guys. Hutton, I would read that enormously long story if it was written about those players that don't get a spot, or I'd watch the documentary about the players who don't get a spot. Follow one position right. group like this yeah. and see what happens guys. to those that aren't chosen in the portal. But who's the lucky guard that gets to go and gets the blessing of Hugh Freeze to go to the SEC for waiting. Probably someone from Tulsa. Any more Tulsa players on the list? Uh, maybe. You know that just. It, I mean, I realize that the the list is lengthy. You get two thousand plus players in the portal. I don't know how you keep up with all of it and recruit high school. Yeah, and I think it also just goes to show that recruiting can be a crapshoot when you're bringing in three star guys. Yeah. For a lot of these programs, a lot of these guys just may not be very good. Or have the work ethic needed to succeed at yeah, the college or, level. Or they're backing up someone, yeah. and they don't want to back up people. Tyron Matthew, Honey Badger, was like, I had to back up Patrick Peterson whenever I came to LSU. And I, li- I loved it. I loved having to work behind him. And I would never enter the portal. Now you have the, the opportunity to bounce as soon as you figure out you're not going to be the starter. There's a starting job open at Auburn, an offensive guard. Chad, the NBA, we led the show by saying, last night's another prime example the product on the floor, you know, the, the sport itself is being put on a pedestal right now in the postseason. Eric Spolstra's team remains in the postseason, and he has a reason, a theory as to why it's been as good as it has been and why he points to where it is compared to any product they put out there in the last decade. How much did Jimmy kind of take control there of the game in the second half, not only with the scoring, yeah. the kickouts, the steals, just not all of it. Offense. Yeah, uh, that's well said, right? Uh, as one of the, the premier, if not the premier, two-way basketball players on this, uh, in this association, um, that's what we needed. We needed you know, him to, to make some plays defensively. We needed him to also just be you know, ball containment <laughs> defensively, uh, you know, on the ball, off the ball, all that stuff, uh, settle this offensively, you know, that, that's a big part of us, you know, not turning the ball over is just having a place where you can throw the ball and get a little bit more settled. Uh, you know, I think even the, the 11 turnovers in the first half is a little bit uncharacteristic for us. We're a little bit disjointed offensively uh, in the first half. But I think also you have to credit them. You know, they... they uh, got us out of uh, our normal stuff, even though we were able to score 57. Um, and then, you know, down the, down the stretch, Jimmy was able to just do everything that we needed, you know, as a, as a scorer or as a facilitator, and he's willing to do both. So Jimmy Butler's certainly one of the best players in the last decade. But what Spolstra said was it's the play-in games that have led to the advantage, not necessarily always going to the home team or the higher seed. Because you come in playing your way in, and then you get that boost of the play-in schedule to become the seven or eight seed. And he's not the first to say that. We talked with the Lakers play-by-play announcer. He buys that too. I don't think that you want to set up a situation where the highest seed 
is at a disadvantage going in. The purpose of being the number one seed or the number two seed is you played your way through 82 games to not be at a disadvantage and not come in cold while the other team has played big games. So, I don't know that I like that. Chad, coming up, the attorney, his name is Dan Gillian. He represents Jane Doe in the case, the civil case against Matt Ariza. We'll dive into the details and what he has to say about Ariza's visit with Tommy Lahren from yesterday on Outkick. That's next on Hotline. Mm-hmm. 